Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of the Business Talk Library. And today I have a great guest on. And I was, as many of you know, I spend a decent amount of time um, connecting with people, um, having guests on. And when I started looking at Dr. Diane's background, one of the things that I noticed is it's like, you know, this is a very dynamic woman that is doing a lot of great things. So I wanted to bring her on the show to talk a little bit about her story, just her journey as, as a founder and a CEO and the great things that she's doing. So Dr. Diane Hamilton, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we jump into talking about your business and your journey, you know, what was your background before you started, you know, your current business? Well, that's the good thing about getting older. You've done a lot, <laughs> a lot of things and I've done a lot of things um, uh, before becoming a curiosity and perception expert that I am now working for Tanera and Dima Innovations, the companies where, uh, you know, I founded. Um, and I, I actually had decades of sales experience. So I've worked in everything from computer software sales in the eighties through uh, pharmaceuticals and um, lending and real estate and different industries where a lot of sales focus before I got into teaching uh, where I, and when I ended up getting my PhD, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on emotional intelligence and sales performance was interesting to me. So that got me interested in assessing assessments, that type of uh, behavioral analysis. And um, I've done a lot of book writing in the area of personality assessments and, and that in my early writing. In fact, I wrote one of the, my books with my daughter many years ago about personality assessments. But after I um, got more into teaching, I've taught more than a thousand business courses. And so that led to me becoming a program chair at the Forbes School of Business and Technology. And I uh, love doing that. But when I left doing that, I went to do more of my consulting and speaking business. And that's when I started to uh, my, started my radio show, my national syndicated radio show, where I've interviewed more than a thousand people and got so much information from them that I thought, well, this is really interesting because the really successful people were super curious. And I kept seeing that because I, you know, I'd interview people like Steve Forbes or billionaires, you know, Ken Fisher or, uh, you know, so many different people, Craig from Craigslist or whoever has been on my show. And you start talking to them and you go, well, this guy's super curious. And I love that. And I thought, well, it's time to write another book. I'll write about curiosity. <laughs> and I, and I was, cause I was always a super curious person. Mm -hmm. And I noticed some of my students weren't as curious. They kind of wanted you to give them the fish instead of teach them to fish. And I thought, <laughs> well, I want them to want to learn to fish. So I started to write this book, uh, cracking the curiosity code about curiosity. And as I started to write it, I thought, well, it's not enough just to write the book. I want to fix this, right? I want to help people become more curious. So I started to look for the assessments of what's out there uh, that helps you develop your curiosity. And really all the assessments were, were telling you if you had higher low levels of curiosity. And I'm like, okay, but if I'm low, then what do I do? <laughs> and I didn't like that. So I created the Curiosity Code Index, which is the first and only assessment that determines the things that keep you from being curious. And that's why that got recognized by Thinkers 50. Uh, Radar is one of the top um, you know, innovations to watch in 2020. And it's a real honor to be included with people like you know, Harvard professors and all the great people around the world who've done all these amazing things. So that's kind of my backstory and that's where I am now. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I think that is amazing because, you know, when you think about, you know, the curiosity, I'm, well, I guess, you know, play on words. I'm curious to know, <laughs> um, you uh -huh. know, did you find any trends as to, I guess, what, what makes people not value curiosity as much as, you know, you did as you started to learn about it? You know, it was really interesting to me because if you look at curiosity, it's really close to creativity in terms of the, what you see as the, the peaks and valleys of it. it. We all start off like this really super highly creative, curious kid. And around age five, we hit the top and then we tank. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, there's great TED Talks. Sir uh, Ken Robinson and George Land have two really good talks about creativity, but they're very similar to what I found with curiosity. Uh, and, um, with, with Ken Robinson, he talks about how we're educating people out of our competencies. And we, we focus so much on the science and math, and sometimes we're missing on some of the artistic kind of creative things. And then George Land talks about how he did re research with NASA and he watched these kids at, at age five, you know, they had 98% of them were creative geniuses, but by the time they're uh, 31, 2%. Yeah. I mean, it was just, boom, you know, so it's, it's a huge thing. So I took some of the research out there. I followed, um, you know, I read all of Carol Dweck's book, um, you know, work on mindset and, uh, you know, my Simon Sinek's why finding your why and, 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 uh, Daniel Pink, Pink's, um, work on drive. And you look at all these books and all these things and, and I thought, okay, well, I learned a lot about curiosity, but I want to, figure out what stops people, right? So I started out just in initially in LinkedIn, just asking people, you know, how, um, wh what keeps you from being curious? And the, just the reactions I got back, a lot of them were very fear related, which I wasn't surprised, but nobody wants to look stupid, right? Yeah, and nobody wants to be called out as looking like they don't know what they should know. But I thought, well, I need to research this in more depth. And so I hired these psychometric statisticians and and I started to work on some of these questions to develop my own questionnaire to find out what's keeping people from being curious. Because I, being a PhD, you want to have it a valid instrument. You don't just want to go to LinkedIn and post something. Oh, that's what I found. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I ended up creating my own questionnaire. I did my own psychometric uh, analysis through factor analysis, all the boring stuff nobody wants to hear about. Did all that and um, found out that there are four things that keep people from being curious. And I use the acronym FATE, F-A-T-E, to remember them. And they're fear, assumptions, which is really the voice in your head, technology, and environment. And uh, I was kind of, um, I wasn't surprised at all by fear, or even what you tell yourself, that voice, or even environment that all your friends, family, teachers, everybody you've ever known, social media, whatever, would impact you. The technology was a little surprising, but it was kind of like, under an overutilization of it. So um, fear was very common sense to me because you know we're all in meetings and we're going, hey, Terrell, why don't you ask the question? Because you don't want to ask it. Better Terrell looks stupid, right? <laughs> I don't want to be the one. So we all have been there, right? And you think about it, you go, I really want to know this, but I'm going to look really bad if I ask it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are held back. Leaders have sometimes scolded you. Uh, I have had people say, you know, I asked one guy um, had asked me to do something. I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. How do I do that? And he said, uh, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. 
uh, okay, well, that tells me, shut up, you're an idiot. I don't ever want to hear anything. You know, I mean, you think of all the things that goes into your head that's going to keep you from asking questions in the future. And so um, those are the kinds of things like we would tell people, don't come to us with problems unless you have solutions, which sounded good, (laughs) you know, because you're going, yeah, I'm going to get rid of all these whiners that are going to just complain about everything. But some people can recognize problems, but they're not qualified to give you the solutions and then you don't get it, right? So, um, so fear can be a really huge impactor. And women tended to have more fear than men in my study, but not a lot. It was really close. And then on assumptions, uh, that the things you tell yourself, you know, the last time I asked this, uh, they just gave me more responsibility and didn't pay me. Or uh, the last time I took this uh, subject in class, I hated it. Teacher was boring. It was, you know, we tell ourselves we don't want to do things and, um, or I'm not smart enough. It's too much work, too much hassle. Uh, you know, it's like when I'm in an audience, you know, I give a talk, I'll hold up, I'll go, how heavy is this when I'm talking about assumptions and they'll go, you know, six ounces, 20 ounces, whatever they guess, you know, and I go, well, it doesn't matter. What matters is how long I hold it. And I, if I hold it for a minute, no big deal. I'll hold it for an hour. My arm gets tired. I hold it for all day, I become paralyzed. And that's how our thoughts are, right? We need to put the water down eventually because we get these thoughts that'll keep us from doing things. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's very overwhelming for a lot of people, this, this um, voice in our heads. And um, I, I think that that one wasn't as surprising to me. And then technology, of course, it's some of us rely so much on Siri or so much on you know the different yeah. devices. And you know, we might be the greatest mathematicians and, and geniuses in the world if we were taught the foundations behind things. But if you're only thrown a calculator and you never knew where that came from. So we, we need that. We need to focus on how can we build this behind the scenes knowledge. And then once we have the technology, how can we utilize it best and not become overwhelmed to go, I just learned that 4.0. Now I don't want to learn 5.0 or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fear of technology, there's a, an overlap sometimes on some of these, right? Yeah. So, and then the last one, environment, um, it just ties into a lot of what Ken Robinson and Sir George Land, I mean, George Land and Sir Ken Robinson had said about how we can be educating ourselves out of our competencies if teachers don't answer our questions or teach the test, or if our family says, hey, you got to be a lawyer, everybody's a lawyer, and you're stuck being a lawyer. Uh and you don't want to be maybe, you know, so th- there's, <laughs> there's this, the, the guy who said, don't come to me with problems unless you have solutions might've been my last boss, but Terrell, you're my nor- now boss. You don't know that I had that experience. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just sitting there not coming to you with any problems because I don't, you know, you don't want me to, I'm thinking, right. So that's my assumption. Again, we're overlapping a little bit. So it was really interesting that, you know, technology, men and women were kind of the same assumptions, men more impacted and environment, men more impacted. But um, it, it, the men and women discussion is kind of interesting because I've seen other studies where, you know, men are more likely to ask, two and a half times more likely to ask questions after watching a, a presentation than women. They're, uh, they don't need to have a whole bunch of people asking questions for them to put their hand up. Women want to hear like six, 15 questions before they put their <laughs> hand up, you know? So we're different. And um, that a lot of that is what I tied into my research for my next book on perception. And it, it ties into, you know, how we are different and how curiosity plays into that. 
but uh, that's my long-winded answer to what holds us back. <laughs> no, I think that there there is a, a ton of value that I mean, because even I, I think about that for myself, mm -hmm. uh, my background is accounting and finance. So in working with, you know, different companies, um, it, it, my clients, a lot of times, there are things that I know that people don't understand. And early on, I would just, you know, sit back like, why aren't they asking questions about this? And, you know, it makes so much sense. You know, they didn't want to yeah. look bad because they felt like, hey, I'm a business owner. I should already right. know that answer or I'm an executive. <laughs> so I should already know. And it really started me down. I think what you said helps validate something like I, I started down a path of like, how do I start breaking this stuff down in trainings like to give people that they can go on their own um, in their own privacy to start breaking down some of these concepts. So the next time they hear it, you know, mm -hmm. they don't have to go through that embarrassment. So no, what you said makes a ton of sense. Well, it, you know, it is an interesting thing when you're teaching people because they, they really love this. Um, to, to train in this area because we do a lot of, I, mean, I did a lot of assessments with like Myers-Briggs and, and DISC and all that stuff. And I love that. It's fun. You get to learn a lot about what, not what, so much what you are as much as what other people are so that you can learn to work together. But I, I didn't want to build something that just categorized people. I wanted to give you something more like um, emotional intelligence test or an engagement test that'll give you like, here's where you are and here's how to fix it. And here's how you can progress. And so when you, when we talk to organizations about this, it's such a, everybody has so much fun because it all ties in to innovation and it all ties in to engagement. And it, it, it's like baking a cake to me. Here's my analogy. All right. So let's say you want to bake a cake and your end product is cake, right? So you have all these ingredients that you want to put into this cake, like oil and flour and eggs and whatever. And you put the, mix them together. You put them in the pan, you put it in the oven. You're hoping for cake, right? But if you didn't turn on the oven, mm -hmm. you don't get cake. You get goo. You don't get what you want, right? So in the working world, if our end product is productivity and money, that's our cake. Our ingredients, we know our engagement, innovation, drive, motivation, leadership, critical thinking, and you name it, all the ingredients, there's a million of them, right? You mix it together, you put it in the oven, nobody's turning on the oven. And the wow. oven, the spark is curiosity. And I've had so many experts on my show from Francesca Gino from Harvard, who did the great piece on HBR about the case for curiosity to Daniel Goldman, the expert for emotional intelligence who wrote all the books. I mean, you name it, I've interviewed them about this. And no matter what they are, if they're an emotional intelligence expert, an innovation expert, an engagement expert, they all say curiosity comes first. It's the spark. And yet nobody's turning on the oven. And the reason <laughs> that they aren't is they didn't know what stopped it. So I finally found out what stops it so that we can learn. We know how to plug it in now. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a big step. Awesome. Awesome. And which, you know, brings me to, you know, you mentioned about the book, Cracking the Code on Curiosity. Uh -huh. um, where can people get a copy of the book? Well, it's wherever books are sold. You know, some of it's easiest probably on Amazon or you can get it through my site at drdianehamilton.com or curiositycode.com. But uh, it, it's just about anywhere. It's, it's cracking the curiosity code. And it's, you know, the curiosity code index is also available at curiositycode.com. And, or you could follow all my stuff at Dr. Diane Hamilton on all the social media sites and find me somehow. It's hard to miss me because of all the shows <laughs> and everything I do. 
but uh, it's, there, there's a lot of great content on my site though. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Diane, before we wrap up, one mm -hmm. question that I like to ask every guest that comes on is, you know, when you think about, you know, your specialty and you think about, you know, the journey that you've been on of, you know, discovering and researching and understanding curiosity, the processes, the roadblocks, and also the tools that can help people, you know, rekindle that, you know, mm -hmm. what's two pieces of advice that you would share with other business owners? I think that a lot of business owners go in it by themselves and they don't realize that they need mentorship. I think it's really critical to find somebody who's done what you're trying to do. Don't be the smartest person in the room. Find somebody who's smarter than you are and then you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think that that is critical to developing uh, a, a very successful business. Actually, right before I came on this show, I'm teaching a course at one of my universities where I work with students and developing their business plan to get them off under their new venture as an entrepreneur. And I, I, I think a lot of them want to just start from scratch and don't recognize that a lot of what they're trying to do, you can get bits and pieces from other people who've already done it. So look for mentorship, look for people who are smarter. A lot of people are looking to give back. I'm, I'm a board of advisor on a lot of things like DocuSign and different companies, but one of them is Global Mentor Network. And I think you're going to see a lot more mentoring uh, opportunities and um, discussions in the coming years. So that would be the number one thing I think uh, we sh should think about. And I think being proactive, I mean, obviously curiosity is my number one thing, but since I've already used that, I think <laughs> we've all read Stephen Covey's habits. And I think the seven habits are, are, are huge, but I think being proactive right now, it ties into being adaptable and agile and all the words that we're hearing, right? And that is so critical to uh, our success. One of the courses I used to teach was this foresight course where we began with the end of the universe in mind and worked backwards to now, you know, and, and it seemed kind of strange, but then you start to think if you can think ahead, if we knew COVID was coming, if we knew all these things were coming and we knew and we really planned in case certain things would happen, you'd have the ability to pivot and be more agile. And so I think just really being proactive and considering what alternatives there are. And that requires curiosity. Again, the spark to that is to ask the questions. What, what, what could happen? What, what can we do if it does happen? So be curious. Awesome. Well, Dr. Diane, thank you so much for coming on the show, um, for okay. sharing your wisdom, um, giving us more insight about the book, because I, I definitely think that curiosity is a, a phenomenal asset that I don't think a lot of people are really mastering or, or even, you know, tapping into. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Business Talk Library. If you like our content, be sure to follow us on social media. And if you want to see more of our exclusive content, you can subscribe and become a member on patreon.com forward slash business talk library. Hey, the Business Talk Library is the place where business makes sense.